Hi, welcome to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. I'm Peter Bulmer, owner of Cars Magazine and Jobber News. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring issues facing today's Canadian aftermarket professionals, sponsored by SiriusXM Canada. SiriusXM is making it possible to offer your customers three months of free satellite radio. Go to SiriusXM.ca slash four shops for details. Apex is your one-stop shop. Join your automotive aftermarket community November 1 to 3 in Las Vegas for the industry's premier event. Packed with hands-on training sessions, endless networking opportunities, and the latest innovations, Apex has everything you need and more. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. As always, I'm your host, Peter Bulmer, and today I'm joined by another Peter, Peter Watkins, Chief Operating Officer at QA Consultants. And we're going to be discussing Project Arrow and the importance of cybersecurity in autonomous vehicles. So first of all, Peter, welcome on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So before we dive into the full uh, gambit here, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, sort of how you got into this space, what you're doing now, and sort of where your interests lie. Uh, well, I'll be delighted to give a little background. Uh, my background is I've been uh, in technology all my career. And I've served at executive levels in major companies in technology positions. So I've been the head of technology for Ernst & Young for Canada. Uh, I ran as chief information officer for the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, uh, executive vice president, uh, also executive vice president and chief technology officer for the McGraw-Hill companies and uh, other major roles in, in corporate, large corporates. About 12 years ago, I got involved as a consultant to QA Consultants and uh, thought, well, this is an interesting uh, company. And the owner, founder, Alex Rodoff, asked me if I would be interested in taking the role of chief operating officer. And I said, yes. So I've been working with QA Consultants as the chief operating officer for about eight years. And we're now the largest specialized software system testing company in North America, All we do is test software, and we do it for aerospace industry, defense, uh, military, uh, large corporates in finance and retail. And and we have a particular interest in the automotive uh, domain, and I've led major initiatives in that domain, um, uh, several of them in the area of cybersecurity. Well, that's great. Obviously, our listeners are sort of automotive skewed also. Is your background on the engineering side or on the software side? Uh, my background's on the software side. Okay. It's, just, it's a very wide range of positions you've held, so I was kind of curious. But let's dive into sort of the topic at hand. So cybersecurity for autonomous vehicles specifically. I guess we'll start with the obvious kind of overarching one. Why is it important? Well, cybersecurity, particularly in autonomous vehicles, is incredibly important. Uh, As you know, right now, cybersecurity is, of course, important in all vehicles. But in uh, all vehicles to date, you know, right up to level four, the issue is that uh, there's always a driver. Maybe a safety driver, but there's always a human being behind the wheel. The example is that if a a company, a car on autopilot or a company, a a car that's relying on 
some type of autonomous guide causes an accident or hits somebody and kills somebody, uh, it's actually the driver that is at fault, not the vehicle, not the software in the vehicle. And so any cybersecurity attack or flaw uh, that happens to control the vehicle still resides with the driver. And the decisions that are made on how to respond to those attacks are with the human being. When you move to autonomous vehicles, then that's a different story. Now you have to question who's accountable for the safety and the security of the vehicle in both the uh, construction of the cybersecurity architecture designs and solutions, but also in the operation of the vehicle when it has passenger or encounters some type of cybersecurity attack or something that causes the car to misbehave. And consequently, in autonomous vehicles, the essence of cybersecurity control is ultimately uh, uh, one of the most important aspects and much more important in autonomous vehicles than in regular vehicles. So it's interesting. I'm just digesting that a little bit. So what is QA Consultants advising on? So in other words, what are you working on in the area of cybersecurity specifically for autonomous vehicles? Well, what's your primary focus and what's the kind of concerns that are coming down the pipeline that you're having to be aware of? Well, one of the major focus areas that we've provided, and I'll give a little bit of background to set the stage for qualifications in this area. Um, We were leading for Canada a major project called the Shift Project, XIVT, uh, between Canada, Sweden, Germany, Turkey, and Portugal, five countries. And we suggested and took leadership for a project called Cybersecurity in Vehicles. Uh, between the five countries, and we led that project for three years. And the thesis we brought to it was that the countries that were providing cybersecurity kind of processes and solutions were really providing point solutions, a particular type of cybersecurity approach, such as fuzzing and uh, uh, anomaly detection and very technical, but single points of failure type solutions. And we took the position that you needed to take a enterprise or end-to-end solution approach to cybersecurity in vehicles. And uh, across uh, five levels, uh, actually, of attack and uh, vulnerability points and access and so forth. So we've taken that approach, which is really a, almost an enterprise architecture approach to the vehicle, and to look at how is cybersecurity handled in each one of those types of levels to create an integrated cybersecurity solution for the vehicle. And I think that integration, fully integrated suite of cybersecurity solution that needs to be in place to secure the vehicle is the essential differentiator for what we QA consultants bring to the cybersecurity space. So I hope that gives a bit of uh, an answer to your question. Yeah. as somewhat of a layman, but when I think cybersecurity, I think cyber attack, does that have more to do with like a malicious intent versus, because you were mentioning single points of failure or something that might go wrong sort of within the vehicle itself, but we're, we're talking about external threats, correct? Yes, we are. Okay. And, by, and they would accomplish that by targeting that single vulnerability you were mentioning earlier. Yes. And okay. so if... If you, if you think about it, 
from the uh, the context of the levels of security or vulnerability that I that I mentioned, uh, what we found when we looked at the cybersecurity services and solutions that are available in the marketplace, they tend to be relatively point solutions. Like there isn't one solution for cybersecurity in the vehicle that handles all of these vulnerable points of attack and. You know, I'll quickly, uh, for your audience, just summarize like five levels. One is uh, the interaction between sensors and drivers, which we call level zero. Level one, the interaction on controls, such as drive control, process control, safety controls. Level two, the level looks at interfaces between components, such as the infotainment system and subcomponents. Level three looks at applications on both mobile and infotainment systems interfaces. Level four would look on technologies that level communication channels, such as those found in wireless entry points. And level five uh, looks at the attacks and entry points that fall under the what we call cloak and dagger methodologies. And what we found when we looked at the protection of those vulnerable areas of attack from cybersecurity that the uh, way that they're dealt with in the marketplace require unique solutions uh, in, in many cases across uh, for that specific level. And one of the areas, and particularly what we did for the Automotive Parts Manufacturing Association for Project Arrow, was to come up with a, a cybersecurity solution architecture, looking at all the cybersecurity solutions that are available to see how they would interact and interface in order to take advantage of their unique capabilities, but also be integrated with other capabilities of other service providers to create a holistic solution for the vehicle. And that's been our primary role that we are playing with um, Project Arrow is creating the integration of these uh, solutions. And in when you're creating the uh, solution or you're tr trying to map this out, or even in terms of implementation, what are the biggest challenges or what's the biggest challenge or roadblock that you find you're running into? Well, the biggest, uh, particularly for vehicles, the biggest challenge is the protocols and latency. You know, if you have a vehicle that's driving 120 miles an hour, once you put in some architectures to look for whether transaction in the vehicle is legitimate or is a cybersecurity attack or some type of uh, anomalous behavior, that uh, software code and the time it takes to process it adds latency to the vehicle, the instructions between the vehicle. What would be an example of something that uh, would be difficult to decipher between a cybersecurity versus like a sort of out of the ordinary action by the driver? Well, that's, uh, that's one of the challenges is the ability when you put software into a vehicle that it will mimic, it can mimic the behavior of the normal software that's operating in the vehicle. That's how it gets to be operating and not detected by the normal systems that operate in the vehicle. And that ability to detect what is something that is a attack or malicious uh, behavior of the software or the instructions or a particular code in the protocol is the essence of being able to create cybersecurity solutions. My point being, uh, we probably didn't do a good job on it, 
was to say that each time you add that type of software to detect what is a good message, what's a bad message, you introduce extra time in the instructions that go between the various components of the vehicle and uh, could create unintended consequences in how the software in the vehicle works because of this extra layer of cybersecurity that's being introduced into the vehicle itself. Right. And so, so why one of the key issues isn't so much you have a cybersecurity solution. Do you have something that's efficient, doesn't introduce uh, excess latency to the system, doesn't slow down the vehicle, allows it to operate at 120 kilometers an hour and be able to uh, handle a malicious attack and not, and not have an accident because the vehicle can't respond to normal things that are going on. Right. So in other words, you might even say it's kind of a balancing act between capability versus practicality. You don't want something so robust that it's making the actual vehicle inefficient or dangerous in a different way, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a nicely put because it's not a theoretical exercise. You have to be able to operate and run the vehicle, right? You know, in, in this, uh, you know, in this venue. Uh, so that's very much part of, as you say, what's the challenge? I'd say that's one of the most important and one of the most difficult challenges is not that you have a, a great cybersecurity solution. Do you have one that will operate within the parameters that are required for a vehicle that's going to be driving at high speeds in the complex environments? And particularly uh, if the vehicle itself is autonomous, because as I've said before, in our normal vehicles, or not normal, but uh, non-autonomous vehicles, there's always a human element who is, can take control of the vehicle, can see something's not right, and uh, take responsibility to getting off the road or moving the side of the road, etc. There's another interesting thing I'll raise. Um, you tell me if your audience would find it interesting or not, so stop me. But it's the issue of liability. As I mentioned earlier, we know in vehicles that have human drivers, ultimately, no matter what the software in the uh, vehicle does, the human is liable, um, responsible. In an autonomous vehicle, uh, it's the software that's really in charge. And so the challenge you have right now, and this relates to autonomous vehicles generally as to how they're being architected, most of them use something that's called deep learning networks, um, artificial intelligence. The challenge with deep learning networks is that they generate their own software code. So ultimately, the author of the code, the developers, uh, the owner of the code doesn't know exactly what the logic is being used by the vehicle to make decisions. That's very interesting because I imagine from, like you were mentioning, a liability standpoint, that would be a nightmare because anyone who's developing the like the source code, i.e. like the dev who's working for Tesla or GM or whoever, I think legally, wouldn't they be released from liability once the code begins, you know, self-propelling? <laughs> well, I guess so, except that when there's an accident, right, and somebody gets hurt in the vehicle... And you go to, um, you know, a particular court of justice and, and you can imagine, you know, a prosecutor asking the question to the software developer, uh, can you explain the logic of why this person ran off the road with the vehicle or why the vehicle ran off the road? And the developer saying, well, I really can't explain the logic. 
And so one of the challenges, uh, and it's related to cybersecurity, is the issue of the differentiation between deep learning networks, which is a current process for software development for autonomous vehicles, and something called explainable artificial intelligence, explicable AI, which is not as is actually good as deep learning AI, but it's explainable and therefore it follows a certain type of architecture and hierarchy and logic that can be explained to a human being or to a jury in a liability case. So not only do you have to create cybersecurity solutions that uh, work, but they have to be explainable. And that is, I think, ultimately a big challenge for the industry at large because the science of explainable AI as differentiated from deep learning AI is not uh, is still nascent and it still needs a lot of work. So I, as I said, when I went down this path, I, I think it's a really critically important topic and it's definitely related to cybersecurity, but obviously it has a broader reach of applications and concerns. Yeah, my, my head hurts a little bit trying to wrap my head around the deep learning network versus explainable AI. And just the, the liability implications, because I'm thinking that this is just kind of stream of consciousness here, but deep learning networks are more efficient and better generally, but they have the capacity to kind of run away from like their, their pre-programmed logic. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a question in deep learning because they, they're relying on the data that's provided to them. And, and you know, there is the well-known case uh, of the Uber uh, vehicle that, uh, you know, hit and killed a pedestrian who was walking a bicycle across the street. And it turned out, and this is in the public domain, so you can certainly look it up and read about it, is that when they looked at why did that happen, is that the deep learning network was trained with images of pedestrians lots and lots and lots of them in different scenarios, but they were all showing uh, them crossing at a crosswalk, i.e. that they were crossing. Right. And in this instance, the jaywalker, you know, which is a person, you know, moving a bicycle, was jaywalking. And the software system, the deep learning network, didn't see it as a pedestrian exactly because it wasn't a crosswalk. So that's the challenge. You train right. by data, deep learning, you can create a bias logical bias in the software. And, you know, it took a team of, of very capable engineers to go back and figure out how did this happen? How did this accident happen? But that was the, that was the reason. And the driver, the safety driver, in this instance, notwithstanding the fault of the software, has been charged with uh, manslaughter. So there's a perfect example of the challenges we have with deep learning networks and uh, the, uh, uh, they're very, very good uh, in almost all instances, but there may be implicit bias that we don't know about until something happens. Right. And things that we almost take for granted. Yes, exactly. You know, just, ba just basically like, as, as humans, we, we couldn't even think to account for like, and that's a perfect example. And this is actually an interesting segue because I also wanted to ask you, sort of in broader terms, not necessarily about cybersecurity, but in terms of consumer adoption. So this is something that we've discussed a little bit on the podcast before, but consumer adoption of autonomous vehicles, obviously the big hurdle will be trust and sort of confidence in the ability of a car to drive us, right? I mean, it's very off-putting, it's very distressing, 
to be in a vehicle that isn't being driven by, you know, sentient being, right? Right. What do you think the, I mean, give me your take on that. It's, we've, we've heard a couple of different opinions on a podcast before, each with their own biases, but I mean, I, it's a topic that fascinates me endlessly. And I, I don't really stand on one side or another, but I mean, I just, I love getting people's take on this. I think the adoption is going to be phenomenal. You know, the, the, you know, we know for a fact that uh, the software in vehicles and AI software in vehicles is excellent by and large, right? And, and the safety record is much better than human beings. It's just that we somehow expect the AI to be flawless, like 100%. But, you know, a number of accidents, uh, you know, if you had a, one accident in a million, you know, where an autonomous vehicle killed somebody, you know, people might, might get really upset when, in fact, we know that uh, drivers uh, uh, in normal course of events kill lots and lots of people. Human drivers are not particularly good. Uh, compared with an autonomous. But so I, I actually think the take up is going to be uh, superb. And it will, I mean, you, there's some very interesting papers in this that you would like. Uh, and, and because there's a team of scientists around the world, one led uh, by Dr. Holger Schlinghofer in uh, Fraunhofer Focus in Berlin. He's the chief scientist there. And he does a lot of work uh, in the automotive sector. But they're proposing that uh, the AI and software take uh, human driver's tests. In other words, we make the standards for autonomous software in vehicles the same as or equivalent to or maybe even better than uh, what we would use to certify a driver to give them a driver's license. Yeah, I, I, think, the, I think the disconnect, though, isn't necessarily about the cold hard facts. It's about... I think if somebody gets in an accident, it's easier to reconcile in your own mind. I mean, I'm thinking if, God forbid, one of us gets in a car accident, I think, well, he got an accident, he wasn't paying attention, et cetera, et cetera. And I know where to place blame. Whereas if an AI-powered vehicle gets in an accident, I think logically or illogically, maybe emotionally, I'm thinking, well, shit, a human behind the wheel could have stopped that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, you're so right about this. It is a much more a visceral kind of reaction. We expect we expect uh, AI systems or software systems to be accurate, like 100% of the time, right? It's, we've been kind of trained that way. Half, half, right? Yeah. But the other half is we also, I think, implicitly understand humans make mistakes. You know, mistakes happen. Shit happens. That's, right. Those are sayings for a reason. Right. So I think it's almost an expectation, weirdly enough. And it's an understanding it's part of the risk of owning a vehicle. Right. But we don't have that same threshold for a machine driving us, I guess. And, and rightly so. I mean, one of the things that is a recent uh, publication put down by authors from five different countries around the world on the issue that there isn't right now any software standards there isn't any architectural protocols that allows for a reliable certification of autonomous vehicles in other words right now globally there aren't any standards in place to actually look at the issue of decision making by vehicles in certain 
an, uh, autonomous decision-making by vehicles in certain situations. Everything that's been designed today has been uh, around a certain architecture of logic in vehicles. But when you get to the autonomy layer, where a vehicle needs to make some unique decisions, it, it comes to an intersection. Let's say there's a boulder in the middle of the intersection. It's an autonomous vehicle. It needs to get around it, right? It needs to make some decisions. Uh, there may it may be there's this a stop sign it needs to go through because of the situation around it. It doesn't, the human wouldn't stop because of what's going on in the intersection. I don't know. Right, right. The challenge right now, there's just no standards. There's no regulations. There's no architecture. There's no software. Uh, software and we're talking globally. So in a way, in a way we uh, are relying on the OEMs to kind of take leadership for this. And they do wonderful jobs. They're, you know, tremendous engineers and architects and so forth, but they don't follow a, some, a similar protocol. Now, there are standards, ISO standards, uh, you know, coming out in this area, a number of them that are quite recent, uh, 21434 and some others. But generally speaking, when this team looked at regulations and, and approaches around the world, this is a very recent article that came out. There are no standards for the subject that we're raising, the concerns you're raising. So it, uh, we're in a nascent direction from a uh, governance perspective on a global basis, while the OEMs and others are racing to release autonomous vehicles in the marketplace. So we have a disconnect between what's happening in the marketplace and what's happening in terms of the governance uh, for these vehicles on a global basis. So just add that to your concerns. Yeah. So thank you, Peter, for calming me down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll well, be able to sleep better tonight, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, anyway, that's going to take us. Uh, Mr. Peter Watkins, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed our talk, and you're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you very much for having me. And that's going to take us for another episode of Auto Service World Conversations. We'll catch you next time. This has been another episode of Auto Service World Conversations with your host, Peter Bowler. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. And thank you, as always, to SiriusXM Canada for being our title sponsor.